0: Section 4 of Pascendi Dominici Gregis On the Errors of the Modernists By Pope St. Pius X Translated by Thomas E. Judge This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 1 of Appendix to Encyclical Letter Pascendi Dominici Gregis On the Errors of the Modernists Agnosticism Epistemology is the theory of the value of our knowledge. Its scope is to deal with the question, what do we really know? When discussing the objects of knowledge, there are two terms that should be accurately defined and carefully distinguished, noumena and phenomena. In ancient and medieval psychology, these words, when used at all, serve to mark the distinction between substances and accidents. The underlying and unchanging essence, or substance, was called noumenon, because knowledge of it belonged specially to the nous, or intellect. The changing accidents, such as colour, taste, and the rest, were called phenomena, or appearances, because they were those aspects of the object which were impressed on the senses. By modern writers, since the time of Kant, the distinction contrasts the object as it is in itself, with the object as reflected in the mirror of our senses, or in the ideas formed of it by our intellect. The thing, as it is in itself, is called noumenon. The reflections, images and symbols of it in our senses, or in our intellect, are called phenomena. Hence, phenomena exist entirely in ourselves, but noumena exist in themselves and are entirely independent of our seeing them or thinking about them. Accidents, in the Aristotelian sense, as well as substance, would be noumena, according to this definition. Agnosticism restricts all our knowledge to phenomena in the subjective sense. Noumena, or things in themselves, it declares to be unknown and unknowable. From this standpoint, each of us is everlastingly imprisoned, within the circle of his own subjective impressions. The world of objects, their nature, and their relation to one another are separated from our minds by an impassable gulf. Hence, agnosticism, as applied to theology, denies that God, as he really is in nature and attributes, can be known by human reason. God, in the language of modern philosophy, is generally called the absolute, or unconditioned. Since the modernists derive many of their principles from the epistemological system of Kant, the student of the encyclical will find some knowledge of Kant's peculiar form of agnosticism an invaluable aid in interpreting the condemned errors. The sage of Königsberg, as Kant has been called, distinguished between the pure, or speculative, reason and the practical reason. We may mention in passing that in the modernists' system, Faith corresponds to the practical reason. Every idea is a unifying principle. All our inner experiences, our thoughts, emotions, desires, appetites, pains and pleasures are unified in the soul. This soul is the psychological idea. Objects that exist outside of us form one world. This unifying principle is called the cosmological idea to reach a perfect unity, to unify our inner experience and the outer world of objects, the possible and the actual orders, we reduce or trace all things to God. This is the theological idea. If we maintain that our speculative reason can prove the existence of a reality corresponding to each of these three ideas, we are lodged, in spite of ourselves, according to Kant, in antinomies or contradictions. The existence of the soul, its freedom and immortality, the existence of a world of objects outside of us, and the existence of God are, of logical necessity, declared to be unknown and unknowable. Reason being imminent, or indwelling, in each individual cannot reach out to these objects, which are not contained in the phenomena or states of consciousness. It is well to note here that that the modernist's theory of imminence is derived from Kant's view of the source of our knowledge of fundamental religious truths. But when we pass from knowledge to action, when we come to consider the moral law that should govern our conduct, and that issues from the depths of our own moral nature, we become absolutely certain of the freedom and immortality of the soul, and of the existence of God as necessary postulates of that law. Kant exalted action above knowledge. Therefore, pragmatism, which values knowledge only insofar as it enables us to act successfully and produce satisfactory results, is evidently an offshoot of Kant's teaching. Medieval theology and philosophy regarded knowledge for its own sake as supremely valuable, but in the new view, all knowledge is degraded to the low position of being the tool of successful action. The modernists are all pragmatists. They even go so far as to teach that dogmas of Catholic faith are of little or no value considered as standards of belief, and that their chief and primary significance is to be sought in their power to suggest attitudes or modes of moral conduct. Hence their system of philosophy is sometimes called the philosophy of action. The Catholic Church teaches on the subjects dealt with by agnosticism a. that God's existence and attributes can be known by the light of reason b. that he cannot be seen by us directly, or to use the scriptural expression face to face, as the ontologists teach, with our natural powers. Until we attain the beatific vision, we can only know him as he is mirrored in the works of his hands c. That no creature, even though his mind be irradiated by the light of glory, can comprehend, that is, perfectly know, God. d. That no word can be used or predicated in the same sense of God and finite things, but only in an analogical or modified sense. But we are able, by a formal or mental abstraction, to understand the difference between the term, as applied to God, and as applied to creatures, so that our knowledge of God, as far as it goes, is accurate and free from error. Intellectualism The word intellectualism has one meaning in psychology, another in aesthetics, and a third in philosophy. 1. In psychology, it is the theory that undertakes to explain all our emotions and desires as secondary phases, by-products or epiphenomena of our knowledge, which is regarded as a fundamental psychological process. 2. In Aesthetics, it is the theory which lays stress on the intellectual content of the aesthetic object as the great factor of aesthetic value, and not on the sensual element which excites passion and emotion. 3. In Philosophy, intellectualism means that all reality may become an object of knowledge, Intellectualism, therefore, in the philosophical sense, is opposed to agnosticism, because the former holds that noumena may be known, while agnosticism proclaims that they are unknown and unknowable. It is in the philosophical and psychological senses that the modernists repudiate it. There are certain truths, which Catholic theologians call motives of credibility, with which we shall deal more fully later on. They hold that these truths may be known by the natural light of reason. They are the foundations of our faith, and by means of them, we render a rationable obsequium, or we give a rational assent to the truths of revelation. Such motives of credibility are the existence of God, the fact of Christ's resurrection, the authenticity of the scriptures, etc., But the modernists strenuously deny the speculative reason is capable of demonstrating these truths imminence we have derived the modernists theory of imminence from kant's teaching of the impotency of the pure reason and the authority of the practical reason or to use a more popular term of the conscience in the domain of religious belief in order to understand what they mean by imminence we must carefully distinguish three elements, or factors, of our religious faith. a God b The religious sentiment c Our need of the divine Immanence, or the indwelling of God in man, may be so understood as not to exclude his transcendence. Catholic belief in the immensity of God implies imminence of this kind. The principle of the divine concursus, or immediate cooperation of the deity in all the acts of finite beings, signifies that every effect flows from two causes, the infinite or first, and the finite or secondary cause. Divine imminence is also used to mean that God is in us, identical with our nature, and the sole principle or source of all our actions, thus understood immanence logically implies pantheism. The immanence theory in philosophy would reduce all reality to elements immanent or indwelling in consciousness. Both science and philosophy would thus be reduced to pure subjective experience. It is evident that the modernists' conception of religious experience was suggested by this philosophy of immanence, which has been elaborated by a group of recent German thinkers. By vital imminence, modernists understand and experience in our own consciousness of the underplay, if I may so speak, of the three imminent elements, God, religious sentiment, and the need of the divine. The Subconscious The phrase, the threshold of consciousness, has obtained great vogue in modern psychology. We know that a stimulus applied to the sense of touch, for instance, at any part of the human body must have a certain strength or intensity in order to produce a conscious sensation when the feeling first comes into clear consciousness does it suddenly spring up there or has it been gradually and continuously gathering strength in the soul until it stands out vividly in our inner experience the latter is a view favored by modern psychologists hence if figuratively speaking we assume a line of demarcation below which a mental state is not consciously felt, and above which it is, the term threshold of consciousness will be an appropriate name for it. Below the threshold of consciousness, therefore, is the region of our subconscious life, of vital processes that are intensely real, but which, so long as they remain thus, cannot be known and investigated by us. Another term used in this connection is subliminal, limen being the Latin for threshold. As attention moves away, writes Professor J. Ward in his essay on psychology, from a presentation, it is intensively diminished. And when the presentation is below the threshold of consciousness, its intensity is then subliminal, whatever that of the physical stimulus may be. Professor Angel, in his psychology, says to the activity of the subconscious we are probably indebted for many of our unreasoned impressions and sentiments for many of our unexpected ideas for certain of our unreflective movements especially those of the habitual variety not a few of our personal preferences and prejudices are probably referable to influences originating here such phenomena as those of automatic writing with the planchette where a person may write considerable numbers of words without any clear idea of what is being written, belong to the borderline of influences lying between the subconscious and the unconscious. Taken all in all, subconscious factors must go to make up a very respectable portion of our total personality, and, no doubt, are accountable for many of the characteristics which sometimes cause us to wonder at ourselves and question whether or not we really have the kind of character we supposed. Virtual intention, in the treatise on Human Acts, may, we think, be similarly explained. Faith in God arises, according to the modernist, from a stimulation of the religious sentiment, the stimulus being our need of the divine. The religious sentiment first slumbers in the subliminal or subconscious self. Its activity, when appropriately stimulated, rises above the threshold of consciousness, our religious experience begins, and although God, imminent in us, is unknown and unknowable by our reason, the religious sentiment, in some mystical manner, comprehends him with a conviction and certainty far greater if we are to accept the gratuitous assertion of the modernists than that which is produced by scientific demonstration, The theory that the religious sentiment can directly and immediately, and not discursively or by deductive reasoning, enjoy an intuition of God, is evidently borrowed from the system of the ontologists, who teach that we can see God face to face by our natural powers. Need of the Divine There are two diametrically opposed views of the nature of progress. According to one, which is the older, we advance because we have in our minds an idea, however vague, of some end, goal or purpose, which we want to reach. Life is believed to be a chain of means and ends under the control and direction of one's supreme purpose or goal, which gives value and direction to all intermediate activities. According to the other, which is the newer, we go forward because our present situation is disorganised. Unsatisfactory and painful to our feelings, in other words, because of some need which urges us to activity in order to overcome existing friction and reorganize the discordant elements imminent in our present consciousness. This view of progress has been derived from the theory of evolution, which repudiates teleology or design. Just as the advocates of evolution deny that God created finite things and determine their growth and development, according to ideas pre-existing in the divine mind, prototypal ideas, as they have been called, so also they reject the notion that social, economic, or scientific progress has been due to any definite ends or aims which men propose to themselves, and ascribe the onward march of humanity to an impulse of no nobler character than that which urges a man to seek shelter from a storm." To seek food when he is hungry or to lie down when he is fatigued hence other factors being equal where there is greater need there will be greater activity and more marked progress natives of tropical countries who have few needs and find for these satisfaction at hand are static and indolent while peoples of northern climes are sturdy and ambitious ever discovering new methods of controlling the forces of nature, because they have to maintain an inexorable struggle for existence amidst unfavourable conditions of soil and climate. The progress of dogma, according to modernists, has been due to the assaults of heresy. According to the evolutionary theory of progress, movement is a-tergo, or from behind, According to the Christian view, it is a fronte, or from an end, idea, purpose, or goal projected into the future, and constantly alluring us onward and upward. In other words, we are pursuing an ideal, but ideals are abhorred by evolutionists. In the case of the individual, it seems to us that both factors of progress, the teleological or ideal, and the evolutionary one of exigencies, or wants, play their part. It is a question to be solved by a knowledge of character, which of the two factors predominates. The modernists attribute the origin and growth of religious experience, faith and revelation to a vital need of the divine. The word vital signifies a growing, changing, imminent process. Consequently, our inner experience and faith in revelation are not different from our other vital processes but are constantly developing by assimilation and elimination. The immutability, therefore, of dogma is a delusion from the modernists' standpoint. This theory is radically different from the development of dogma as explained by Newman and advocated by some of the greatest minds in the Catholic Church. They teach that the revelation given by God to man was completed in the apostolic age but that the infallible magisterium of the Church emphasises now one part, now another, of the content of the deposit of faith, according to the necessity of the times. The modernists' theory must not be confounded with the dialectical or logical evolution of dogma, handed down from age to age by theologians, who, by analysis and reflection, are constantly bringing into explicit view aspects of Christian truth logically implied in previous formulas. Suggestion Suggestion is another word that modern psychology has made extremely popular. Every person is supposed to possess some degree of suggestibility or capacity to be influenced by others. Hypnotic suggestion is its extreme form. We distinctly feel the influence of suggestion whenever we associate with a strong personality. Its effect is to arrest the ordinary train of our ideas, to check and obstruct our habitual modes of action. Professor Baldwin distinguishes the following varieties of suggestion. Among the many distinguishable phases of suggestion, apart from hypnosis, which illustrates them all, are 1. Sensory motor suggestion, movement due to a suggested sensation. 2. ideomotor suggestion, movement due to a suggested idea. 3. Motor suggestion as such, direct suggestion of movement. 4. sensory suggestion, the suggestion of sensory experience, for example, that a red light is green. 5. Ideal suggestion, suggestion of thoughts, beliefs, etc. 6. Personality suggestion, the peculiar suggestive influence of persons, as such. 7. Contrary suggestion the production of effects, actions notably the contrary of those properly due to what is suggested 8. Negative suggestion or suggestive inhibition, the removal of something from consciousness by suggestion. 9. Organic suggestion the successful suggestion of organic effects 10. Hysterical suggestion the suggestive conditions of hysteria. 11. Social suggestion, the normal acceptance of hints or more than hints from the social milieu. 12. Imitative suggestion, suggestibility to models and copies of all sorts for imitation. Modernists have recourse to suggestion to explain the twofold value of dogmas proclaimed orally or in writing. By means of it, these awaken a religious experience, once actual, but now dormant in an individual, and also generate it for the first time in the soul of a person possessing the proper moral dispositions. Dualism The tendency to reduce things to ultimate principles, which are independent and opposed to each other, is called dualism. The tendency to find gradations between contraries Or to reduce them to a more fundamental principle in which their opposition and apparent contradiction become reconciled or unified is called monism at the present time there is a strong bias in the world of thought against all forms of dualism like so many other features of the spirit of the age monism received its influence from kant he appeared in the history of philosophy as mediator between the skepticism of hume and the dogmatism of Leibniz and Wolf. No two systems could be more diametrically opposed, and yet the philosopher of Königsberg professed to have discovered a more profound principle which reconciled scepticism and dogmatism. Hence, since the days of Kant, the mediation of opposites may be said to have become a favourite philosophical method. The assumption that every error is a half-truth was modified into the assumption that opposing and contradictory theories, or hypotheses, can be conciliated by mediation, that is, by the discovery of a higher principle which advances beyond both and embodies the element of value contained in each of them. Hegel, carrying Kant's assumptions to what he conceived to be their inevitable logical conclusions, rejected the principle of contradiction, maintaining the identity of being and not-being. How far the modernists have been influenced by this suicidal hypothesis of Hegel may be seen in their assertion that the greatest honour we can offer the deity is to ascribe contradictory attributes to him. There are various forms of dualism. a. Theological dualism appears in the Zoroastrian religion with its opposition of Ahriman, the evil one, and Ormuzd, the good one. Zoroastrian dualism in the Christian era reappeared in the form of the Manichaean heresy. B. Anthropological dualism is the system which proclaims the body and soul to be essentially distinct in essence. C. Soteriological dualism explains the scheme of salvation by distinguishing between God as a principle transcending the universe and man as his creature whom he, of his own free will, redeems. D. Sociological dualism is found in the distinction between the church and state, between the laity and the clergy, between the absolute monarch and his subjects. E. Finally, the dualism between faith and science is especially an object of detestation to modernists. Although they proclaim that each has its own province, that faith deals with noumena and science with phenomena, Yet they hold that man cannot abide a dualism, and insist on harmonising the two. The method which they approve of, as alone satisfactory, is to subject faith to the control of science. End of Part 1 of Appendix to Encyclical Letter, Pascendi Dominici Gregis, On the Errors of the Modernists,